Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 97, and we're going to talk about a very simple concept, something that I think appeals to a lot of van lifers, and that is what is enough. We're also going to talk about a product review of a knife, a very special knife, a place to visit that has lots of trees, and a tale from the road involving Sacagawea. Hello everyone, welcome back to episode 97. Well, actually welcome to episode 97, because unless you're listening to this again, I can't welcome you back to it. You know what I mean, at any rate... I came across a quote, and it was from my friend Richard, and he posted it on Facebook, and I thought it was brilliant, and described a lot to me about why van life is so appealing. I think just about everybody listening to this podcast, whatever kind of vehicle you're in, finds some appeal in the idea of traveling and bringing your home with you. And there are many, many reasons to do this. I mean, maybe you just like seeing places and it's convenient. Or maybe you're a techie and you like challenging yourself to build the ultimate travel machine that can do everything everywhere. Or maybe you're a minimalist and you're trying to live with less. You're trying to get by on as little as possible and find peace that way. All of those are legitimate. All of them are part of why I do van life. But I'm going to read you a quote that really spoke to me and then talk about it a little bit. Now, this quote, this is a little confusing to source here. This quote is by John Bogle, who founded Vanguard Mutual Funds, not the kind of stuff I'd normally read. And he had this in one of his books, but the quote isn't about him. And honestly, where I got the quote from isn't even from his book, so I can't give you a provenance. But John Bogle said this, and this is what he said. At a party given by a billionaire on Shelter Island... Kurt Vonnegut informs his pal, Joseph Heller, that their host, a hedge fund manager, had made more money in a single day than Heller had earned from his wildly popular novel, Catch-22, over its entire history. Heller responds, Yes, but I have something he will never have. Enough. Hearing that quote, made a lot of sense to me. Over the course of my life, I've had financial windfalls and and financial downfalls. I've been up and down. And, you know, I'm 50-something years old here at this point. I've had a lot. And, And some fairly drastic extremes of both wealth and unwealth, if that's a term. And it's important for me to state that my happiness level was not associated with my wealth level in that the times when I had the most money in the bank were actually the most miserable times of my life. So money can't buy happiness, you hear that all the time. No, it's true, money can't buy happiness. However, lack of money certainly isn't the key to happiness either. You need to find a balance. And I would say that that balance is simply enough. Now, for most people living in modern society, there is no enough Enough isn't a goal. The goal is always more. Got to have more. Got to get a raise and make more money. You have to have a newer car. Need to get a bigger house. Need to have more stuff. It's sort of anti-minimalism, and that's kind of why I see minimalism as a response to this. This used to be true for music and video games. You have to have more video games. You have to have more music in your collection. More, 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 more. 
And at no point would you ever have enough. But that's just a matter of perspective. You may very well have enough. You just have to change your perspective. So for me personally, and that's really all I can talk about, being in a van is about having moments of having enough. If I'm in my van and I'm not experiencing any problems or deficiencies, and I find a nice place to park, and I'm sitting there with a bowl of whatever I've made for the evening in my chair, watching the sunset, or heck, watching a YouTube video, whatever. In that moment, I have enough. And I have enough in a way that is difficult to experience in normal housebound life. There's always something to do in your house. There's always something you could be doing to save money or make money or prepare. You could do the laundry. You could do the dishes. You could dust. There's so many, many things to do all in the search of this better thing that is never reachable because it's never defined. But when you're camping, and I still state that your ability to enjoy camping is your biggest indicator of your ability to enjoy van life, enough is just a matter of, am I comfortable? That's basically it. That's your goal. You just are trying to make yourself comfortable in that moment, and you are truly in that moment. And it's mostly because you are restricted. You're restricted in space and where you are. You're in a little tiny bubble, and in that bubble, it is absolutely possible to have enough. And that is a sense that is really nice. It's what I strive for. It's calming, it's peaceful, and it removes much of the stress that exists in normal life. Now, I have given up some of this sense of enough by being a content creator. By creating a podcast and by creating a YouTube channel, it is actually much more difficult for me to get to that state of enough because I always have next week to worry about. So here I am recording this podcast. I will finish it and upload it. And then for about 20 minutes, I'll be like, okay, that's done. And then I'll start thinking, uh-oh, what am I going to do next week? And spend the week thinking about how to make a podcast and how to, co- how to make a video and are they the same thing and all that kind of stuff. All those things interfere with my feeling of enough. And you might be thinking at this point, well, maybe enough isn't the right term for what he's talking about. Maybe it's just peace. But no, there's something to this enough thing. It is a realization that you have stopped striving for an unattainable goal or even an undefined goal. And where do we hear about this? Where does this concept come in? Well, in some of the basic tenets of Buddhism. (laughs) Now, I'm not a proponent of any religion here, and it's even arguable that Buddhism isn't even a religion. But there is this idea, this central core tenet of Buddhism, that attachment equals suffering. And I think there's a lot to that. The things that cause you suffering are the things that you are attached to that aren't doing what you want them to. And often there are people, sometimes they're your bank account, or sometimes they're your van, because uh, I've experienced a lot of that lately. And I am attached to my van. Those of you out there who are practicing Buddhists or are at least influenced by Buddhist philosophy probably know exactly what I'm talking about by this search for enough. Now, that's all fine and good, but there's an element of this that needs to be addressed, and that is that searching for enough is a very 
personal and also very selfish endeavor. People who have enough and are enjoying that enoughness aren't worrying about other people at that moment. And when you're not worrying about other people, you're also not doing things for other people. So again, balance in all things. If you are perpetually in the state of, I have enough, you're also not productive. You're not helping other people and you are possibly not looking towards the future. And if you go down that trail, it gets pretty ugly pretty quick. To sum it up, for me, one of the reasons I like being out in the van is that it's much easier to get to that state of, I have enough. And I will enjoy it for a few hours here and there. But it's not a permanent state, nor do I ever want it to be a permanent state. But it's just another aspect of van life that I find appealing, and I think you might too. I am going to revisit a product that I reviewed a few episodes ago, and that was the ATEM, A-T-E-M, Power MPPT B2B DC2DC Charger. Yeah, it's got a complicated name, but this was basically this all-in-one unit that would allow you to charge your batteries with solar and the alternator, even if you had a smart alternator. This thing on its face looks great. It's only $200, and it's small, and it has all the lights you need, and it's fairly easy to hook up. And even though it doesn't have fancy diagnostics or Bluetooth or an app or anything, it should be enough to get the job done. And it is, and I've been using it for a while, and it absolutely does what it says. Except there's a problem. David on the Discord channel pointed this out to me, and I had noticed it too, and I was just hoping that it was my inexperience that caused this problem, but doing more research into it, well, you have to know this. If you're using lithium batteries with this thing, it will charge them to full, and then it will stop charging them, and it won't start again until the voltage drops. And for lead-acid battery or AGM battery, that's fine. But for lithium batteries, their profile is such that the voltage doesn't start dropping on a lithium battery until they're nearly dead. So essentially, that means this charger will charge your batteries up, turn off, wait till your batteries are dead, and then start charging them again. And there's a certain logic to that, but it's not one that applies to van life, because that means it's noon, it's bright and sunny out, and you're discharging your batteries because your charger is off because the voltage has passed a threshold and you can't change that. That means that all the solar power you make during the day is wasted. And then at the end of the day, your battery is depleted and then suddenly it turns on, time to charge, but the sun is gone. It's just not a great application for van life. So what to do about this? Well, if you have AGM or lead acid batteries, you probably won't run into this. But if you have lithium batteries, you are probably going to need to get a separate solar charge controller, and I think that's where I'm headed. I will continue to use the ATEM power for DC to DC charging because it's fine for that, but I think I'm going to need to also add a solar controller, and I will then use the ATEM as a backup. Not a great solution, and I'm sorry to those of you who have purchased this based on my recommendation. I was unaware of this shortcoming, and I believe this shortcoming applies to all of these all-in-one units. I think they simply don't have the sophistication to understand when a lithium battery needs to be charging, or at least passing through the solar, because they're voltage-based and it needs more circuitry to understand lithium charging, and that means it's more expensive, and that means, yeah, you get what you pay for in the end. So, 
I will still recommend these if you have limited space and a limited budget, and if you have AGM batteries, I think they're going to be fine. But if you've invested in lithium batteries, you're probably going to want to get a separate MPPT charger and a separate battery-to-battery or DC-to-DC charger. And, well, I'll let you know how it goes with me, because I think that's how I'm going to end up. Tales from the road. Okay, um, I'm a little embarrassed by this tale. In fact, I've been embarrassed by a lot of them lately. Maybe that's because we're getting near episode 100, and I've already told the non-embarrassing stories. But this one's fairly recent, and I blame Wonder Hussy. Now, if if you're not familiar with Wonder Hussy, she is a, a YouTube star, and she travels around the desert southwest and does all kinds of explorations, and she's quite the character. I, I love watching her. I watch her all the time. So you can check her out. It's Wonder Hussy on YouTube. Very easy to find. But she visited Oregon mm, six months ago, eight months ago, and went to some of the same places I just went. And one of those places is Cascade Locks. This is right at the end of the road after you visit all the waterfalls, maybe an hour from Portland. Actually, it's probably not even that much. And they have the boat tours leave from there. If you take a boat tour of the Columbia River, it probably leaves from Cascade Locks. They have this big stern wheeler, which we took. It's fun, it's great, all that's good, and it has nothing to do with what my story is, other than that's where we were. In the parking lot, there is a statue to Sacagawea, or Sacagawea, or however it was properly pronounced, because apparently Sacagawea ain't it, and the famous dog, the Newfoundland, that went on Lewis and Clark's expedition, which went right by there, that's why the statue's there. Okay, great. The statue is really well done. It, It's kind of evocative, it, it has wind blowing through her hair, and she's overlooking the river, and the story is that Wonder Hussy, in her video of this place, said that Sacagawea was anatomically correct. Well, I mean, you can see that from the statue. She's wearing a buckskin dress, I guess it would be called, that comes down to maybe a foot above her knee, and her knees are spread apart enough that there is the suggestion of a gap under her skirt. Well, um, apparently, somebody actually uh, took a peek and found out to their perhaps delight that the sculptor had uh, taken care to make sure that Sacagawea was complete and um, well she's not wearing any underwear because I don't think that was a thing so I'm out there and I'm curious <laughs> because I want to know if this thing if that if this is true if what I was told is true and yet I don't want to appear to be a perv. I don't want to be crawling around under the skirt of a statue. But, you know, I'm curious, and I feel like it's an obligation that I have to do this thing. So I wait for a moment when it's pouring rain outside and sneak over to the statue, and there's nobody around except I'm getting soaked, and I pull out my iPhone, which is thankfully waterproof, and, well, I do a little upskirt action. Now, note that I am not a fan of people who do this in real life, and I'm certainly... But this is for curiosity's sake. Well, I had to struggle with the phone quite a bit. It turns out that the way the light works with the video camera these days is very different, and I didn't actually want to stick my head under there, so I'm just kind of nonchalantly putting the camera under there, and it refuses to focus on the important part. Instead, it focuses on the spider that's hanging out under there. <sighs> so finally... I figure out how the light works on the video camera, which is that you have to turn it on in the dark 
and then it will turn on. And I moved the phone around under there a whole lot. I mean, if I had had a bar of soap, it would have been pretty obvious what I was doing. But I'm doing this, and I'm hoping just to get one frame that gives me the information I want. And I look around, there's nobody there, and I take my phone out, and I look at it, and yes, I did get about exactly one frame that showed me that, well, yeah, the person who sculpted this did, in fact, take a little bit of time to make sure that she was complete. Now, it's not graphic detail, and the style of the sculpture is such that there's a lot that your imagination will add to this. It's basically just a few lines of bronze that suggest pubic hair more than anything else, but there's more to see in that if you are really motivated. And no, I'm not going to share the picture because this is the kind of thing that you have to experience for yourself. If you're curious or you doubt me, head to Cascade Locks, Oregon and find out for yourself, which is exactly what my wife did. So <laughs> we were waiting for the boat to take the boat tour and I told her this story and I showed her the still image from my video because, hey, we're married. And, well, she decided to go out and check for herself. And she is apparently a little less shy than I am because she did it while there were other people standing around the statue. And she literally just kneeled down and looked up there, which honestly is a much more honest way of determining whether this myth was true. And the other people looking at her were like, oh, okay. And I was driving by to pick her up, and I yelled out the window, it's okay, she's a doctor, which is true. If you ever happen to be in the beautiful Columbia River Valley, uh, just east of Portland, Oregon, and uh, you want to take the nice riverboat ride on an authentic sternwheeler, yeah, you can go visit Sacagawea and see that she's a real woman and is not ashamed of it, and there's no reason for her to be. Product review. This almost could be a tale from the roads. But I was at Rocky Mountain Star Stair, which I've talked about several times, and I ran into an old friend named Bob and his wife Linda, and we sat down and had a few drinks, and, and Bob said, oh, I have something for you, and he handed me a knife. And that's not just any knife. What he handed me was the Victoronics table knife, I think is what they call it. I'll have a link in the show notes just so you can see the picture of this thing. But I love, I love this knife. Any of you old enough to remember the Ginsu ads will remember the crazy things they said this knife could do. It cuts through bricks, it cuts through tomatoes, it does everything. Well, this knife is kind of like that. In a van, we want our things to do more than one thing, and this knife can be used for nearly every knife activity. The only problem with it would be that it's a little short for some things, but it spreads, it slices, it dices, it, it's... Anyway, let me describe it to you. It is a small knife about the size of a steak knife, but it has a blunt end, and it is heavily serrated, and that, I think, is its secret. I have used this knife to carve fruit, to make peanut butter and jelly, to do basically all the knife things in the kitchen. And you know how if you have one of those blocks of knives in your kitchen, you actually have like a favorite knife? It's the one you go to to do most things and then you're disappointed when it's in the dishwasher? This is that 
knife. And if I could have one knife in my van, even though I've reviewed other knives on this channel before, this is the one knife I would choose to have. There's only two things it doesn't do very well. One is to stab things because it has a blunt nose. It doesn't, it's not a stabby knife. The other is uh, it would be very difficult to cut like a head of lettuce with this. You could do it, but because it's so small, you would probably want a larger knife. So I will have a link in the show notes. Bob told me that he buys these knives for really cheap at like a variety store somewhere. They just have a whole block of them, and he buys a bunch and gives them out, which I think is a wonderful idea. I can't find them as cheap as he So uh, I will have a link in the show notes, and the price, I think, is totally reasonable, but they're not a couple bucks. They're more like eight bucks. Again, that is the Victoronix knife. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, I apologize, but uh, boy, I really do like this thing. A place to visit. A while ago, I made a video about how to drive in the snow, and I filmed that at this place, which is called Morton Arboretum, and it's in Lyle, Illinois. It's just west of Chicago, basically. It's about an hour west, which could be five miles, given the way Chicago traffic is, but maybe it's about 20, 25 miles. At any rate, as you may have figured out from the name, it was donated land from the Morton people, basically Mrs. Morton, the wife of the salt mogul. Morton kind of owns the salt world, and they do other things now too. But way, way back in the day, a hundred years ago, Mrs. Morton donated all this land so that they would build an arboretum. And an arboretum, for those who don't know, is a garden of trees. And they have done that in style here. Basically, you drive around and see all these amazing trees, and they're all set up in, like, their little ecosystems. I mean, there is the northern deciduous forest over here, and then there's the prairie lands over here, and then there's the southern hardwoods over here. All these trees, and you can just kind of go visit them and be with them, and that's it. Yeah, they have a museum-y area, and there are some activities and stuff, but the point of this place is to spend time with the trees and all the animals and critters and people that they attract, too. It's a lovely landscaped area. It kind of looks like a golf course in how well-groomed it is in many parts, but there's plenty of space where you can go out and actually do a bit of hiking, very flat hiking. This is Illinois and see things like glacial erratics and some of the larger trees that actually predate the occurrence of the Arboretum. In the winter, it is much less crowded, of course, but it is no less beautiful, and it's a great way to get out if you're housebound in the winter and you want to get out and see some nature. Boy, they keep the roads plowed, and it's just as nice out there in the winter, and that's why I made the winter driving video there. Also, at Christmas, they do an amazing light show where you drive through and see the lights. A lot of places do this now, but they do a really good job, and it sells out every year. In fact, unless you're a member, it's really hard to get tickets. So if you'd like to visit this place, I have a link in the show notes. It's called the Morton Arboretum, and it is a place for people who love trees like me. Resource recommendation. I'm just going to throw out a couple of things that I listen to that maybe you guys would like to. Now, these aren't really huge names, at least not yet. They're, you know, we're not talking about Chrome on YouTube here. We're not talking about you know, my solo journey on podcast. These are folks who have 
been doing this for just a few months and I've already started to gather a little audience and they're folks I like to watch because both of them have something in common. They keep it very real. These are real stories about real people on the road. First of those is Trail Slippa. That's, uh, he's, he's from New England. He's actually from Maine. So uh, Slippa in the YouTube channel, I'll have a link in the show notes, but the YouTube channel is Trail Slippa, S-L-I-P-P-A-H is a hiker, that's his hiking name, and uh, he recently has transitioned to moving into his van full-time. And you get to see this whole process. So uh, I I really enjoy watching his videos. He's recently purchased a drone that seems to want to kill him, uh, which is kind of fun and and scary at the same time. (laughs) So I watch him every time he has a new episode. Again, that is Trail Slipper. And if you're looking for... A basic examination of how, how someone goes from living in a house to living in a van, you can see what it's really like, at least for him. And maybe some of what he has done will apply to you. Crossroads Travel is a bit different. This is the podcast of a jujitsu fan and practitioner who grew up in Florida, built out a van, and is now traveling west with his girlfriend. And they do the podcast together, and it's basically, they will spend an hour telling you about what's been going on in their life. And, okay, there's a few podcasts like this, but these guys keep it real. They're not embarrassed to talk about some personal things, and you get to see their progression. One thing I like is that they don't seem to be the kind of folks who have traveled a lot. This is their first time out there experiencing all this stuff. So it's kind of nice to see the world through their eyes. I have been traveling for literally decades and I see things differently because of that. It's nice to be reminded of the wonder of crossing into a new state, which is an experience I will never have ever again. So I will have links to both of these in the show notes. Again, that is Trail Slippa, a YouTube channel, and Crossroads Travel Podcast, which is, well, it's a podcast, and it should be of interest to anybody who wants to explore van life or has an interest in jujitsu. Q&A. I've been asked this question quite a bit lately, and I do appreciate you guys asking me questions. It's kind of how I steer the channel. And one of the questions was, what's going on with the ambulance? Yes, it's true. I bought an ambulance and I kind of thought I'd be giving regular updates about how it was going. And then life happened. Stuff has been weird. So my progress in the ambulance has also been weird. I yesterday, today's Wednesday and I'm recording this, yesterday, Tuesday, I finally finished the sink. I now have a working sink with six gallons of fresh water and a five-gallon gray tank, and it has a removable hose. I can wash my hair in the sink. I mean, I'm I'm very happy about this. Uh, Let me tell you, folks, I know people do van life without a sink and without running water, but boy, I am not one of them. I really want to have a sink and running water. It makes me much, much more comfortable. So I finally got that installed. It was super difficult to do without ripping out cabinets, and I'm still trying to keep the ambulance as original as possible. But one thing that I didn't anticipate was how hard that would be. Ambulances, mine is a Type 2, it's called. It's just a van. It's a sprinter van without the box on the back. And there are cabinets on the sides. And they're really heavily built. They're very nice. But they take up all the space. 
So I don't have like a countertop anywhere unless I add it. And the only way to add something like that is to remove stuff. So I'm still evaluating and it's taking me a lot longer than I thought. And I've had more problems with the van than I thought I would have. I mean, just endless stupid little things that they happen with an older vehicle. My new thing now is I'm fighting with the washer fluid jets because whenever I put on the washer fluid, the windshield washer fluid lands on the car next to me, not on my windshield. And I looked and yep, there's little broken pieces of plastic there and I've got them on order and I'll fix that. So I haven't abandoned the ambulance. I am absolutely eager to get back out on the road with it, but I need to do a little bit more work before I'm comfortable doing that. I am definitely taking a trip in November back east. I'll be going from Chicago to New England, and I will be doing a bunch of things there, and you'll hear about that. And I will continue to review things, and I owe you guys a video about the progress on the van, because I've actually done a ton of stuff since the last time I made a video. It's just been crazy hectic lately. <laughs> and I'm going to Mexico in a couple weeks, not with my van, so i got to worry about that too. So, Anyway, that's what's going on. Thank you for the questions, and I will promise to keep you up to date as much as I can. And in a little bit of van news, more of a warning. I've heard several stories like this, including somebody I, I know that just this just happened to. If you're buying, if you're trying to buy a van, you already know that it's really hard to buy a van now. Prices have never been higher in inventory. There isn't any. Not only has it never been lower, there isn't any inventory. Every available brand new van out there has bought as soon as it comes out. And there's a, I would consider it a scam going on, and I want you to be aware of this. It used to be in the day that if you wanted to buy a vehicle, you would go to the dealer and you would say, hey, I want exactly this kind of vehicle. So I'm going to, I want it to be this color and I want it to have all this stuff. Okay. You can still do that. You can go to Ford or Ram or Mercedes or wherever you want and order the van you want. But here's what's happening. They will give you a date and that date will probably slip because the, again, trying to get a van is impossible. And then when the van comes, they'll tell you, you can't have it because the price has gone up and they sold it to somebody else who was willing to pay more. So this leaves you, having given a deposit, waiting, say, five months for a van and then having them sell it out from under you because, hey, they made more money. I've heard this story so many times, and now that I've heard it from somebody I actually know, I, I have to tell you, it's a real thing. Uh, boy, I don't, I don't know what my advice is. If you're the kind of person who has the money to buy exactly the van you want and you want to buy it new, make sure you find a reputable dealer. Make sure there's something in the contract that says that this is your van, that they can't sell it to anyone else. Getting a VIN would go a long way to that because if you can attach your money to a VIN, it's going to be more of a real deal. But unfortunately, until you have the title or your bank has the title in hand, it belongs to the dealer. And, well, their contracts only protect them. They don't protect you. And your only recourse is to really to go on social media and say, uh, hey, this horrible car dealership screwed me. And I see an awful lot of that. So I'm back to recommending that if you can wait, wait. It's an entirely unsatisfying recommendation. We're in these weird times, and, well, unfortunately, some people are taking advantage of it. 
Well, thank you very much for listening to episode 97. Very happy to be back in my old recording situation with the podcast. The YouTube channel does persist. However, it is going to be de-linked from the podcast. So that means you get twice as much content in a week. And hopefully the video channel will be better and the podcast will be better. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember this famous Buddhist quote. Live with no sense of mind not forming attachment to experiences. <laughs> <laughs>